Today we continue our series from the Old Testament. We have come to the book of Ezekiel. I'm going to focus attention on the Valley of Dry Bones. I have uh, preached from this passage before. It is one of my favorite in the Old Testament. I find it to be very intriguing. Before we actually get to it, let me give you a little bit of uh, background concerning it. In 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar brought the Babylonian army against Jerusalem. They devastated Jerusalem and left Solomon's temple in ashes. They took the people captive to Babylon. Jeremiah and Ezekiel were prophets at that time. Jeremiah ministered to the people who were left in Jerusalem, and Ezekiel ministered and prophesied to the people who were taken captive to Babylon. Jeremiah was, or Ezekiel, was about 25 years old at the time. Now, what I want to do with the text is to apply it to, in some degree, this prophecy, to the church today. So take your Bibles, turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 37, beginning in verse number 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he caused me to pass among them round about, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, that you may come to life. And I will put sinews on you, make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin, and put breath in you, that you may come alive, and you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a noise, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I look, and behold, sinews were on them, and flesh grew, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they came to life, and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army." Now, we are introduced in verse number 1 to this valley of bones. We understand prophetically that these bones symbolized Israel. Because the Scripture says in verse number 11, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. So we understand then in its prophetic context that the bones that Ezekiel refers to represent Israel. Leon Ravenhill wrote, Does history offer a more ridiculous picture than this? Here is hopelessness incarnate. Whoever had such a dumb audience? Preachers deal with possibilities. Prophets with impossibilities. Written over the whole situation in large letters is impossibility. So when we look at the situation here, it was a time of great grief for Israel. They had been taken away from their home. They had been taken captive, and now they are in Babylon. In fact, the psalmist 
refers to this in Psalm 137.1, where he wrote, By the rivers of Babylon, that is where they are captive, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. So you have to understand the people at this time. They have been taken from their homes. They are in captivity in Babylon. And the Bible says that they are greatly grieved. They wept there. It was a time of hopelessness for them. Going back to verse number 11 of our text. Then he said to me, Son of man, can these, these bones are the whole house of Israel? Behold, they say, our bones are dried up. And our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. So this was a time of hopelessness for the people of Israel. And the psalmist referring to this wrote, How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? It was a time of despair, a time of hopelessness, a time of grief for the people of Israel. They were a valley of dry, dead bones. I want us to allow this picture to symbolize for us the church, because the church, at least in the Western world, is greatly dispirited today. Those outside the church see the church largely as being irrelevant. What does the church have to say to our world today? And they have virtually dismissed the church and its message, those outside the church. I mentioned to you that I have been reading the book, God is Back. Now, if you happen to get the book, don't think it is a Christian book. It is not. I think one of the authors is an atheist. But it just talks about the, uh, 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 it, it chronicles what happened to the church and, and how God, how there was a move to, to remove God from the equation. It goes back to the 1790s during the, the time of reason. And so it, it began in France and then it moved across Europe and then it came to the United States and so forth. But the desire was to remove God from the equation. Now, because God created man with an innate desire to worship God, then there has to be a God that becomes a substitute. So if we remove the God, then we have to have another God that becomes a substitute. So in the book it says, one solution to the loss of faith was to find an alternative in secular ideology. Four secular faiths sprung to the fore in the 19th century. Now, here are the four gods that have been established since there has been the attempt to remove God. Science, culture, the nation-state, and socialism. So in the book, as it chronicles what has happened, they said that there has been this attempt since the 1790s to remove God. But if God is removed, then he has to be replaced with something else. And these are the gods or these are the churches that have been established. The first is science. And the book goes on. For many Victorians and Edwardians, science was an object of unqualified veneration. Science was explaining the world through such intellectual achievements as the origin of species. It was forcing men to give up their childish illusions and deal with the world as it actually is. So one of the gods that has been established, and we still worship at that altar today, is the altar of science. We worship the god of science. 
And then they said that the next God that was established was the God of culture. And uh, in this, he says, culture wasn't just a substitute for religion, but was superior to it. Culture wasn't contaminated with barbarism or superstition. Culture didn't generate wars or persecution. Culture, and particularly music, provided the distilled essence of religion free from the stains of dogmatism and warfare. And so one of the gods that has been established, we've removed God, we have to establish a God, and one has been culture. And so many of the concert halls across the land then have become places of worship. Thirdly, he says, is the nation-state. In um, Hegel regarded the state as the divine idea as it exists on earth, and more famously, as the march of God in the world. The state is more than just a system of law and government. It is the embodiment of ethical principle and rational purpose, all-knowing and all-providing. The essence of human freedom lies in surrendering your will to the higher will of the state. So another God that has been created, another church where we worship, is at the altar of state. And then he says, fourthly, is socialism. And according to Marx, that represents justice. So what has happened outside the church People see the church and the message we proclaim as being irrelevant, has nothing to say to modern society. God has largely been removed, and these other churches have been established. These other gods have been established. So outside, it is irrelevant. Inside, the people are greatly discouraged. Eighty percent of churches in America today are declining or plateaued. Many ministers are leaving uh, the ministry. In fact, within the Southern Baptist Convention, over a thousand a year leave the ministry. The people are discouraged because of our lack of influence on society. Many of you grew up at a time when the church had tremendous influence in the town where you grew up. And that is no longer necessarily true. And yet, as I look at it, Jesus said concerning the church, the gates of hell will what? Will not prevail against it. So when I look at the, uh, at the situation regarding the church... Those outside say it is irrelevant. Those inside are discouraged. And yet Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So that leads us to the question, can the dry bones live? And that was the question that was asked of Ezekiel in verse number 3. He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Now, I like that because that is such a typically Baptist answer. You see, you didn't know that Ezekiel was a Baptist, so he had to be. God said, do you believe these bones can live? Well, he didn't want to say yes, that would have been presumptuous. And he didn't want to say no, that would have been a lack of faith. So he says, you know. You know, God knows. Well, the question for us is, can the church have a powerful impact on society today? That, that, that really is a question we need to consider. Can the church make a difference in our world today? Can it have an impact? Can it change things? Now, we are seeing what Islam is doing around the world, the changes that are being brought about as a result of that religion. Can the church today have an impact 
on society. Well, the truth of the matter is we have a lot of doubts about that if we're honest. And the reason we have doubts is because we see the declining influence of the church. Now, I read an article the other day. I, I think I have it. It was... Um, the headline says, Michigan School District allows Sikh students to wear religious daggers to school. A Detroit area district says it's allowing Sikh students to wear a small religious dagger to school. The dagger is a religious symbol that baptized Sikh males are expected to carry. So I read that and I say, okay, within that religion, within the Sikh religion, there are accommodations that are made to allow the students to wear the dagger of their religion. And yet there are so many school districts today where if one is a Christian, one is not allowed to take the Bible to school. So sometimes it's a teacher, sometimes it's students. So what happens to us is that we see all of these things that are taking place within the nation and we become doubtful as to whether or not we can have a serious impact on society. Can these bones live? And the answer to that is absolutely, as long as God sits on the throne, ladies and gentlemen, the church will not fail. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. As a matter of fact, the uh, North American Mission Board did a study about churches that are impacting society and culture today. And they listed these characteristics of those churches. First of all, they, they have a vision of reaching their community for Jesus. They have a vision. Secondly, they believe the Bible to be the Word of God. Thirdly, they believe evangelistically that Jesus is the only way of salvation. There is no other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. They work within the areas of their spiritual giftedness, and there is a sense of urgency about it. A sense of urgency. Ladies and gentlemen, we better develop a sense of urgency. As the people of God today, we best develop a sense of urgency about reaching this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we see these bones. Can they live? And then we see them as they come to life. In verse number 7, it says, So I prophesied as I was commanded, as I prophesied there was a noise. Now, the, the first sign of life is always noise. That's always the first sign of life. For instance, when a baby is born, doctor spanks the baby and the baby cries. Sign of, and I don't know if they do that anymore. That might be child abuse now. I, I don't know. <laughs> but they used to. The point is, anyway, is that there is noise, which is the sign of life. Maybe they pinch them. I don't know how they do it today. But that is also true with spiritual life. Where there is spiritual life, there is noise. Now, I've asked the question before. When God begins to move upon the church, there is a noise, sign of life. What is the noise? And people say, well, people are shouting, praise the Lord and, and glory to Jesus and all that stuff. No, it isn't. When God begins to move upon a people, there is a noise, but the first noise is always grumbling. Because God begins to change things. God begins to move, and He begins to change things. And when things begin to change, people begin to grumble. For instance, if Jerry were to go and say, Now look, in this Sunday school class, in order for us to reach more people, we need to start a new Sunday school class, and I want some of you to go over here. Oh, no. This is my class. I'm not moving. I'm not, this is my room. I'm not moving. I know there's three people in here and holds 40, and we got a room that has uh, 40 people and holds three. But I'm not moving. So God begins to move and we begin to grumble. 
You know, there are two things Baptists don't like. They don't like change, and they don't like doing the same old thing. So we begin to grumble. So we grumble about the changes that have to be made. We grumble about the money that is spent. I love the story. I know you've heard it, but I'm going to tell it anyway for myself. There was a pastor, and he was preaching, and he, and he said, You know, the church has been sitting too long. The, the church needs to stand. And the people shouted out, Church needs to stand. Let her stand. He said, The church has been sitting too long. The church needs to stand. The church needs to walk. And the people said, Let her walk, preacher. And he said, The church has been sitting too long. It needs to stand. It needs to walk. It needs to run. They said, Let her run, preacher. And he says, The church has been sitting too long. It needs to stand. It needs to run. It needs to walk. It needs to fly. And they said, Let her fly. And he said, Cost money to fly. They said, Let her sit, preacher. You know, the truth is we're more comfortable being keepers of the till than investors in the kingdom. And we grumble about being busy, you know. I mean, if you listen to Steve Phillips, he'll have you all out selling peanuts at the airport. I mean, he just wants you to do stuff all the time. We grumble about that. But then after a while, those sounds that when God begins to move, those sounds of grumbling become sounds of life. Lives that have been changed. I know many of you, and I look out and I see you, and I know how God has changed your life and what a wonderful testimony that you have. Folks, that's what it's about. That's what it's about. Lives that have been changed, touched of God and changed. There's the sounds of lives being changed. There's the sounds of new ministries being established. Not long ago, uh, Ada Rabin and Anne-Marie Green wanted to talk to me, and they were talking to me about establish, getting established some kind of a, a ministry on Sunday night during the discipleship time. There's some people who want to do something. And I said, well, go to it. They said, well, we want you to do it too. And I said, no, God didn't call me to do it, but you need to go and do that. <laughs> Sounds of new ministries being admissions. I had a, I had a great idea. So it, it really was a great idea. In a couple of years, something that we could do. And um, I was talking to Brian Barnes about it. And I said, Brian, you know, I think that in a couple of years we finish up with fulfilling the vision that we ought to do this. And he said, well. He said, didn't you say that after we did fulfilling the vision that we were really going to focus on missions? I hate having a smart aleck deacon. Those are the sounds. <clears throat> excuse me. Those are the sounds that begin to take place when God begins to move. Sounds of life being changed. Sounds of ministries being established because you care about people. Sounds of missions because you want to see people saved. So there was a noise. That's the first sign of life. Now in verse number seven, it goes on. I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a rattling. Matthew Henry wrote, even dead and dry bones begin to move when they are called to hear the word of the Lord. See what happens, folks. When God begins to move upon a people, He reaches down and shakes the people. And they go out to shake the world. And that's exactly what happened in the New Testament. When the disciples went out to turn the world upside down for Jesus. And then there is unity, you'll notice in verse number 7. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. One of the things that I have learned is that when Satan is worked, there is always division. You can, put, you can count on it. 
When Satan is at work, there is always division. When God is at work, he brings about unity. And the people, whenever God begins to move on a people, then he begins to bring the people together in place. He he begins to bring them. Did you know that the largest churches in the history of Christianity are established today, are effective today? In fact, the church in South Korea where uh, Paul Young Cho is the pastor has 800,000 people. How would you like to be there? And some of the churches in South America are the largest churches in the world. I mean, God is doing something as He brings His people together, but there is no value in us being united in place unless we are united in purpose. And what is our purpose? And it is to worship the Lord. We come together, whether it's 80 people or 800,000 people, we come together for the purpose of worshiping the Lord. Folks, let me say something to you. I long in my heart, because I believe First Baptist Church is such a unique church, I really do. And I long in my heart to see this place filled and overflowing and multiple services as people come together to worship our Lord Jesus. And that's going to happen if the Lord tarries. I honestly believe that one day that is going to happen. Our purpose is evangelism to reach people for Jesus. And I long to see you. Going into your sphere of influence and telling people about Jesus and what He has done in your life. Our purpose is discipleship, seeing people not only saved, but then growing in their walk with Christ. And so our Sunday schools and Bible studies full of people. The bones came together and then there's power. But I want you to notice something in verse 8. I looked and behold, sinews were on them and flesh grew and covered them and there was no breath in them. So it is possible to come together and be organized but not have power. It, it is possible to come together with organization but without power. In fact, our churches are incredibly organized, aren't they? I mean, we got organization. We got we got classes on organization. How you can be? We got, our churches are so organized they can go on for 50 years after the rapture. I mean, we're we're organized, but in many instances we have organization, but we have no power when we need organization. Yes, but there must be power. So look at verse number nine. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may come to life. We need organization. That's necessary. But organization with power. And that is the promise of the Lord. You see, Jesus said in, in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, you shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. The promise of the Lord is when the Holy Spirit is upon you, then you have power. And the evidence of that is that you will be a witness. That's the evidence. If the Holy Spirit is upon you, then you have power. The evidence is is that you become a witness telling other people about Jesus Christ. So there are the signs of life. So we see the valley of bones. question is asked, can these bones live? And then we see the signs of life. There is the noise, there's the rattling, there's the unity, there's the power. And then there's a promise of victory. As God gives life to the bones, there's victory. Look at verse number 10. So I prophesied as he commanded me, 
And the breath came into them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. This valley of bones, the Bible says that the Spirit came upon them. And there was supernatural life. God gave life to the bones. And that is a vision of Israel. And we have seen that happen, that prophecy fulfilled largely. God's Spirit came upon the bones. They came to life. And then the Bible says that they stood as a great army. Going back to our application, we need God's touch on the church. A touch that gives us supernatural life. Folks, we can be organized. We can do all of these things. But what we need is the touch of God that gives us power. We need the life that God gives. Not the life that we manufacture. And through programs and all the things that we do, there can be a lot of activity that suggests something's going on down at the church. But the question is, Is God doing something in your heart? Is He doing something in your life? We need the life that comes from the Spirit because we have an incredible assignment, and that's to take the gospel into the world. Did you know that today there are a million more lost people in the world than there were last Sunday when we came together? And next week when we come back, there will be a million more lost people in the world who need to hear the good news of Jesus. So we need the power that comes from God to touch the world with the gospel. Well, can the bones live? Son of man, can these bones live? First Baptist, can these bones really live? Yes, if they are touched by God. Now my question to you is that, are you willing to be God's church at this time? And these are challenging times. In many ways they are dangerous times. But they are certainly needy times. It is a... Time when the people of God need to truly be the people of God. Jesus said that you are the salt of the earth. And that is emphatic, meaning you and no one else. You and you alone. It's emphatic. So Jesus said to the church, you and you alone are the salt. And our world is corrupting. And the church must be salt in that world. Jesus said you are the light. And that again is emphatic which means you and you alone are the light. There's no other light. Folks, our world is in darkness, and it needs the light of Jesus Christ, and the Bible says that you are the light. Now the question is, are you willing to be the church, touched by God, bringing light to darkness, and preservation to that that is corrupt? Can these bones live? That's up to you. If you're willing to be touched of God, the answer is yes. Our gracious Father and God, we thank you so much.
that you provide us everything that we need. Lord, the task that is before us is daunting in many ways. It seems that sometimes there's so much opposition that we begin to lose hope, we begin to doubt. And yet, Lord, the promise that comes from you is that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Lord, we want to be that church. We want to be that church that that lives godly lives, that's touched to the Holy Spirit, anointed to the Spirit. Lord, that we might be salt and light, making a difference in our world. Not just to go to church and meander through life and come to the end of it, but, Lord, to have made a difference. I pray, Father, that you'll speak to our hearts. Speak to our hearts even now. That we might commit ourselves to you wholly and completely. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a moment, we're going to stand. Extend an invitation. Choir will sing. If you're here without Jesus, I encourage you to give your life to Christ today. If you're looking for a church home, you want to be a part of a church committed to Christ. I'd ask you to come. Our doors are open to you. Whatever God's speaking to your heart, you be obedient to Him. Stand with me, please, as we stand. They sing, and you come. I'll greet you as you do.